After years of helping online businesses make more money by advising them on their taxes and finances, I've now made it my mission to reach as many profitable online businesses as possible to help them save on their taxes and make more money. On my quest, I bring you proven and real profitable online business owners, and we dig into how they do it. Hello again. Thanks for being here on the Few, the Proud, the Profitable. As always, this is a podcast where we talk exclusively to six and seven figure online business owners. We know that there are a lot of people who exaggerate, who inflate their successes. So what we do here is we've taken the guesswork habit for you. We've personally vetted our guests and we only talk to people who are actually making real money online. Got one of those today. Tyler Wagner, thanks for being here, man. Of course, man. Grateful to be here. Yeah. Well, I had a blast talking to you probably a month or two back. I can't even remember. Yeah, so looking forward to having you on here. Yeah, man. Me, me too. I, I like to, to be on the other side sometimes. Yeah. As you know, right. I interviewed a lot of people. So I've been on yeah. this many, many times. <laughs> sure. So for everyone who's watching this, listening to this, who doesn't know who you are, just tell everybody who you are, what yeah. it is you do. So, well, I have a podcast called The Authors Unite Show. That's about, I think it's like a year and a half old. Um, but my main business is called Authors Unite, uh, and we help people become profitable authors. Uh, it's kind of like our, our, our tagline. What we noticed, I've uh, been doing it about eight years now in the publishing business, Authors Unite's about six years old, um, is that most authors are either not good at marketing or do not have a, like, uh, a team behind them to help with marketing, because most publishers do not do marketing for their authors. So most of our business actually comes from partnering with publishers um, or ghostwriters, editors, anybody that has a pool of authors. Um, and we take care of that marketing part, uh, yeah. meaning book marketing and then the back end systems to, to build a business. Well, and I like the model that you have. I find I think it's interesting because for most people, either they have usually there's one of two ways they go. They go, I guess, create space doesn't even exist anymore, but they yeah, do. Yeah, it's Kindle Direct Publishing. They have it. You've got almost no cost and you just throw it out there and you hope it sticks. Or some people will invest a ton of money getting a publisher to do it and they'll do some sort of marketing campaign. But at least for from the financials I've seen from a lot of those people, the publisher did not do an effective job marketing because the sales aren't that great. And usually they're generating a loss after they're paying those pretty exorbitant fees. Yeah. So there's from, from what I know so far and being in the industry, there's three different types of publishing. So there's service publisher, which is actually like a lot of our business comes from the marketing, but we can do all the other things. So like we do have a publishing company set up authors, unite publishing, um, but we're a service publisher. So if somebody wanted us to just do publishing, then yeah, a fee up front, and then we take care of the cover design, formatting, typesetting, all that stuff. Then there's hybrid, and hybrid is is interesting. I think each hybrid kind of does a different type of model, but but some of them, from my understanding, it's like you don't pay them directly to do things, but at the same time, uh, you'll just like kind of pay for a bulk of books, which the then they make a little margin on each of the books. Yeah. Um, and then you split royalties, obviously with service publishing, uh, you keep all the royalties. We don't take any royalties hybrids like 50, 50. And then traditional is there's no upfront cost from you, but then on the back end, they take like 90%. 
Um, and it's just a time thing. The thing with traditional, from my understanding, and it, I'm more on the other side, um, is it, it could take like a year or two before you even land the deal. And in today's world, to me, that's just baffling because I'm like, yo, if you, sure. write a, if you write a book on marketing and two years from now, it could be completely irrelevant. So, exactly. <laughs> I don't. And we, we talk about that all the time, especially in the online space where it's funny because you'll see these gurus and you'll have these people who, what you can tell happened is they bought, someone had a hack, they created a course, this dude bought it, but by that time, it's six months, 12 months later, and it's not effective anymore. Yes. So uh, depending on what you're writing on, like you're saying, you by the time that actually hits bookshelves, it could be completely irrelevant. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's, and again, I am biased, but to me, the, sure. tra the traditional seems a little, just a lot of upfront work with no guarantee of anything happening. So mm -hmm. hey, I'm not saying it's not worth the risk. Like there's definitely some success stories I've heard, but- I don't know, man. <laughs> I like time. So, yeah. right. And especially if you don't have, I don't know how their model works, obviously, but yeah. I imagine if they're doing all the upfront costs, they're only going to, they're not stupid. They're not doing that on bad bets. Exactly. So it, so that's the thing too, is that, you know, and even traditional publishers really like they're good for distribution, like getting your book in like stores or airports and stuff, which, you know, you, you can get sales that way for sure. Um, I think most people buy from Amazon, but mm -hmm. I, you know, some people buy from airports. I've seen quick kind of impulse buy or yeah. something. Um, but other than that, they typically do not really do any marketing. It's, it's, do you already have a platform so that we know the, 50k we're putting putting up front for distribution editing and everything whatever whatever it is and I, and that's maybe a little high but editing actually can be pretty expensive um well especially depending on the starting the quality yeah. you start off with. But that's the thing yeah people it, these, these things range and it depends on who it is like i know editors that that charge maybe like three to five grand and i know editors that charge like 50k and, sure. and you know, it just depends on their portfolios. It's, it's a wide range. Um, but yeah, and it's, I guess it's on whatever your goals, you know, are. Mm -hmm. I, some people, it's just, they really, as a child, they grown up, they're like, I want to be published by a major publisher. So if that's, if that's what it is, then go for it, you know, <laughs> do it. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you said, you know, they asked you about what your backend is, what, what you have for your marketing campaign. Yeah. Cause I knew one guy where, he pitched a book to a major publisher and they, of course, he was all happy. He's like, yeah, they said, this is great. This is fantastic. This is wonderful. They just told me I need to get like a, mil a million followers then they'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of, co of course they will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, but that's what I've heard. It's kind of like, um, so yeah, for us, at least with authors unite and, and most hybrids, I don't, you don't need to have um, all of that, but obviously you are going to be investing some of your own um, time or money or, or both um, up front. Sure. So walk us through your process a little bit, because again, what y'all do, I know you've got the different models and different ways people can work, work with you, but since yeah. it is a little bit different, just walk us through it real fast for anyone listening to better understand what it is. Yeah. So, well, well, we do publishing, editing, and ghostwriting. So if you need help in any of those areas, we can do that, which basically includes like, you know, getting your ISBN, the design, interior formatting, paperback. We use Ingram Spark. 
So you'll get distribution in all the online retailers. There's really no guarantee you're going to get like in stores, yeah. um, but it's possible. And again, the in-store thing is, is really kind of an ego thing. Like it's cool to be on Barnes and Noble, but right. dude, you're not raking in money from being on a bookshelf. It's just, it's not. Sure. So, um, so that's that our main differentiator. And again, cause this is where like 80 to 90% of our business comes from is doing these big book launch campaigns to help people hit major uh, bestseller lists like wall street journal or USA mm -hmm. today. Um, and to hit those you need, depending on the competitiveness of the, of the week, anywhere from like five to 15,000 is, is a good range okay. um, of sales. We focus on ebook at a discount just to be transparent. Um, uh, in, in a week. And there are some tricks to it. Like, you know, those lists, they like to see sales, um, in multiple stores. So, yeah. so you don't want to just do, you buy it straight from the truck that you sign off from the, the packaging <laughs> slip. And just well, swipe. So this is the thing, man, there's some, we, we do it in an authentic way. Like we do large email list campaigns, sure. Facebook ads, Kindle and Nook advertisements. Um, is our four main ways of, of marketing it. But I have heard like stories. Um, this was years ago though. I, I think honestly the, the lists are kind of, I think they've kind of figured that out. Like you used to be able to buy in bulk, like your own book or something yeah. and like hit the list. But I, I don't even think that works anymore. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I don't know, man, it depends on your morals and stuff, but, um, yeah. Uh, but that's, so a lot of our business is that is partnering with publishers. And then if any of their authors have an interest, um, just cause Amazon, it's not bad, but it's an hourly algorithm. And it's not like a, a lot of the people in the know becoming an Amazon bestsellers, like it's, eh, you know, I mean, I, I'm an Amazon bestseller yeah. and one of the books hit in my yeah. category, it hit number one in like a week. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's cool. And of course I put that on my signature yeah. and all that. Yeah, that, that's great and everything, but there's no comparison between hitting yeah, like a, a, Amazon versus a real at Wall Street Journal, New York Times, a, a yeah, real or, bestseller list. Yeah, so we've just seen it. And again, yeah, Amazon for brand and everything, it's still great, but we've just seen, especially getting on like media and stuff like that, mm -hmm. it's... Um, if, if you're on the wall street or USA today, it's like, people just know they're like, I can trust that. Yeah. Um, so like we did one last week. It was just kind of cool. Like we were number two on wall street and then number four was Donald Trump jr. So the, the, I don't care how you lean. It's just kind of cool to see yourself above Trump. <laughs> right. well, yeah. And I, that's, I like the way you phrase that. That's that there's so much more, credibility to those especially when it comes to press because so many people myself included say okay you know what's going to help me from a marketing standpoint i'm going to write a book so now everybody is this was a little more unusual 10 years ago now everybody's writing a book and then it's not that especially in the short term if you're able to maintain longevity on the amazon list okay that's that's indicative of something real but especially in the short term it's pretty easy to game the like you said the hourly amazon algorithm to where yeah. you, you can hit really high in your category for an hour or two <laughs> and then it's gone so if people really are serious about being an author and using that to propel, propel their brand, doing it the way you're doing, I think has some pretty 
major and clear advantages. Yeah, it does. And, and one thing I'll still say is it's, it's, it's just like um, Amazon or any of the lists, even New York Times, in my opinion, if you're not proactive on leveraging it, right. it's still, because Amazon, it's an hour, Wall Street Journal, it's a week. So yes, it's longer and you're like printed in the paper and, and it is more, it's, it's better, obviously. But at the end of the day, there's a new list every week. Mm-hmm. So if you do not proactively leverage it, you, you, it's not just like you're taken care of now that you hit right. the Wall Street, you know? So no matter what list you hit, you got to know how to leverage it. And that's something that I just think everybody should know is I think there's like this false belief that people are like, all right, well, once I hit that book's just going to stay up there and I'll be taken care of. It's like, yeah. dude, it ain't that way at all, man. No, not at all. You have yeah. to leverage it. And I had Jeremy Ryan Slate. He runs really successful podcasts. He was on a couple weeks ago and he was talking about misconceptions people have. And I remember he said people, experts in their fields think the press is looking for them. And I said, mm-hmm why did they think the press is looking for him? Because it's such a, it's such a backwards way of thinking. And he ultimately said that they're just not familiar with how PR works. They don't know how the industry functions. But yeah, I think people in the same way have this misconception that, oh, I hit this list. Oh, yeah. I, I'm really smart at this. That people all of a sudden, that's just automatically going to give them this, this clout. Yeah, yeah. And, and even worse is a lot of people think that you know just by putting their book on amazon there's a bunch of people out there that are looking for it you know like right yeah. there are a lot of people on amazon obviously but i mean it, you gotta market it like you won't um there's so many books maybe like 10 I, I can't even remember how long like 10 20 years ago or something before i was in even really in the industry when it was less competitive like maybe you know because th- your book could be found but now yeah. if all you do is publish it the chances of your book being found are about zero. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it won't happen. Yeah, if, you, if you're in some crazy specific niche that yeah. is the population of people looking for it <laughs> is so low and, they're, and the book's on it, sure, that those five people who are doing that search will find you. Yeah, that's but true. If you're in a at all competitive category, there's no way. Yeah, there, there actually are... Um, because Amazon, I, I believe that they like come up with new categories every now and again. Okay. So there are actually some like little categories that literally only have like one or two books in them. So I've actually seen that before where it was like this category just came out and then somebody put their book in it. And like, mm-hmm. it was like, there, there wasn't even enough for three because the way <laughs> the three on each like column or, or row or whatever. And, um, yeah, it was just that book and the other book, mm-hmm. and it was like bestseller. And I was like, "Yeah, man." <laughs> oh, it'll drive well. It'll drive me nuts because tax is not a super competitive category because no one wants to write or or read about it. <laughs> so for mine, it would be funny. I could tell there were people who they couldn't make it in their own category because yeah. it was on marketing or something a little entrepreneurship something more broad so like for a week it would randomly pop in my category so they could say oh (laughs) look at us we hit number one we hit number two and then as soon as they got the screenshot they're just going to back it out into the right category again yeah that's funny i didn't realize that tax was one of those i guess leverageable categories (laughs) oh it's 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 hugely it's hugely unpopular (laughs) 
it makes yeah, that, that's, it makes sense though because then you could game that one even like easier yeah. yeah well and it used to be i'm i think there's still a way to do it but it used to be even more transparent which categories weren't competitive because on the sidebar it used to be like okay there's this many on business and as you drilled to the, down to the categories in the parentheses it would just show you these um how many books were in there oh okay got it yeah i so think they changed that a couple of years ago but I remember thinking one time, I'm like, man, if I could do a book on mail order marketing or something, then I would just crush it because there's like one other book in there. I'll just destroy this. Oh, I love this stuff. It's so funny. <laughs> so like, um, well, j just so everybody is aware on how to, to kind of know is um, any category you go into, just like click the number one book and then scroll down and then look at the like Amazon bestseller rank out of the whole store. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's actually a tool out there. It's called KDP calculator. If you type it into Google, it should come up and um, you just take that rank, put it in the KDP calculator and it'll tell you on average how many sales per day that book is getting. Oh, nice. So, and then if you get more sales than that in one day, even though Amazon's hourly, it's kind of hard to, plan a launch around one hour so i just <laughs> just do a day um you know you'll most likely hit in that category right so that's how you could know right <laughs> if you want to know <laughs> all right sweet man so and this happens a lot we end up just rolling so second question oh cool that was the first question <laughs> that was the first question so the second question we ask everyone is because as we hints at that there's a lot of people who will pretend that they're successful but they're not so what's the best thing about having a profitable online business well i mean i'm looking at the beach right now I, okay so for me i think what it is is i my biggest thing that i always want is freedom so mm -hmm. that's actually why i dropped out of school too thinking back is i just the thought of like corporate and a suit and like having somebody mm -hmm. tell me what to do makes me like not it wasn't even worth living honestly like i yeah. thought it was that bad like i really yeah, yeah. i remember two years into college thinking about it and just thinking about climbing a corporate ladder and i was like i would not i would prefer not to live than do that honestly mm -hmm. it sounds maybe crazy but it's just i was like no so i took the risk dropped out and i just like to work at home being these comfy clothes so to me that's the best part is just kind of managing my own time and schedule going to the beach at 1 p.m in mm -hmm. the middle of the day if i want um and just being in complete control of of my time yeah I, yeah absolutely it's funny you talk about how much you just the thought of being in corporate america was so miserable to you and I'll, i've told this story a bunch i was at a fortune 500 company had had a job that was okay got bumped into a, what was ostensibly a better job and it was just miserable, had an awful interaction with my manager, just out, it was awful. So while that's going on, I applied to jobs and it was something like 80 or 100 countries. I was so miserable in that job. I didn't think I'm like, oh, I just need to get another job. I thought I needed to just bolt from the, <laughs> co the continent and get out. And yeah. some, some people more power to them are able to, that's what they want is that structure and that uh, predictability. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's for a lot of us. 
Yeah. See, I've just heard it's interesting, right? Cause it's all, it's all about how you view things and it probably has a lot to do with like your experiences or definitely it does. Cause I, to me, it's like, you know, some people think a job is more secure. Um, but to me it's scarier. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't even really feel the, the ramifications, I guess, of 2008 and stuff. Like I, I was younger then I'm 28 now. So I think that was right before I went to college, I think mm -hmm. somewhere around there. So, but I, you know, people that had jobs that they thought were secure ended, right. you know? Yeah. So, and I know entrepreneurs, I believe at that time also maybe got hit pretty hard. Um, sure. but at the end of the day, I feel more comfortable controlling my mm -hmm. own destiny rather than somebody that's way up at the top of a company that I don't even know that well being, you know what I mean? Cause sure. I don't know. That would give me anxiety, the, the job. <laughs> so. oh, well, that's, that's what I ran into too, because again, I, I had issues with management and had a, um, slightly precarious position going on, on there. Yeah. And that's what I realized. I'm like, you know, because my, my dad's a financial advisor. So, mm. and he, he still is and was during 2008. Okay. So, so I saw, I, I graduated college in 2010. So right when I was kind of deciding, okay, what do I want to do? I had seen my dad go through one of the worst markets in recent history. I'm like, forget that. I don't want to work for myself. That's so, there's so much risk there. It's so uncertain. Then fast forward those couple of years later, and I'm like, you know, this douchebag who doesn't know what they're, they don't know what they're doing, but they're in, they're in control of my destiny. Yeah. It doesn't matter how wrong they are. doesn't matter how right I am. It, none of that matters except for their opinion. Yeah. And that was, it was a, that was a real wake up call and you know, a terrifying one that, yeah. you know, you've got to be in control of your, your life. There's no real security in a big corporate gig. Yeah, no, man. So I think that's one of the biggest falsities, I guess. You know, it's it's, it's a fake security. It feels secure because there's a mm -hmm. bunch of other people there and there's this right. like, big, nice building. But um, just, you know, I don't know. I never worked for a corporation, so I guess I, I don't have experience really, but I don't think it is. But, but you see it. <laughs> I mean, you see it on the news. Market yeah. conditions change and they shut down a plant. They move move to another country, another state, demand goes down or they, so they just shut it down completely. So yeah, you're not the guy who's having to deal with the ebbs and flows of, of the cash flow. You, you're, you're just getting your check, getting your check until you don't. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, that's actually one of the other things I just realized is it's like the chances of that CEO or who has ever like in the know of what's really going on in the company's cash flow, right? is probably not going to like tell all the employees right away. Sure. You know, it's cause they're probably going to try to fix it or, or, you know, something, but they're not certain, you know, so I'd kind of rather know what the cash flow deal is. You know what yeah. I mean? I'd like to know where I'm at. <laughs> so. it's, in, well, it's in the news now. And by the time we publish this, it, this could have changed and it yeah, could be outdated, but we work is in the news a lot right now because, that. That yeah. that dude is going to get like a billion dollar payout when he leaves, and then they're having to downsize something close to three thousand employees. Yeah. So you know, homie, there at the top, he's not telling those three thousand people, "Hey, you should start updating your your resume." Yeah, you should start. No, they <laughs> they thought they were fine. Then all of a sudden, 
the news finds out and the through their the stockholders that okay we're not doing so great ceo's bailing he gets a billion dollars y'all lose your jobs they don't have any advance warning on that yeah so what is um because i I mean you understand this stuff more more than i do with do you know if they're are are they like actually going under or they just i don't i don't know i haven't followed it super closely i think i think that right now they're still trying to salvage everything and Got it. At least I'm not sure if they're liquidating their assets to try and or to downsize a little bit, but still maintain it. I, I don't know what the nature of it is. It was just a wildly yeah. overvalued IPO, and that's what I, it was. Yeah, because I watched I, the video on it, and it yeah, it said something like it was um it was like ten or twenty times valued more than like Regis or whatever yeah, the yeah. other the um, other sort sort of co-working type thing. Yeah. Yeah, which didn't make any sense, but it's so weird, right? Because again, perception. So, you know, you look at, I'm down here in Miami and there's three WeWorks, one South Beach, Brickle, and then another, I think another one downtown. And they, they're so nice, looks always. Oh, yeah. And so just the perception of WeWork is like, yo, they're, it, that game's over. They're crushing it. They're, they're crushing it, right? Because they have the, and Maybe they overpaid for the real estate holdings. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to comment because I have not followed yeah, it nearly, no, <laughs> nearly closely enough to to have an opinion on it. Yeah, yeah I think they had these astounding looking offices, and they had this really prime real estate. So to anyone just looking at the face of it, it's like, man, they're genius <laughs> yeah, they're, idea they're geniuses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but I don't know enough either. So I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so so on the subject of not managing cash flow, yeah, in the we we work example, one <laughs> of the third question we ask everyone. One of the things we always say we deal with this a lot with our clients, and what we hear from a lot of online business owners is that managing cash flow can be a struggle because mm-hmm. you've got some inherent advantages in an online business, and then some inherent disadvantages and just weird quirks with it. So, yeah. how have you managed to do that successfully? I, uh, I probably will be your worst answer on this. Cause as you know, I, I personally don't do it. My dad happens to be an accountant and he basically just kind of tells me where I'm at each month. And cause for me, the biggest question that I want to know is how much can I put into like advertising? Mm-hmm. Right. Because as long as I know that like in either way, like there's, we were talking before, like with LinkedIn, there's, there's so many free options, but advertising still, you know, a good thing sure. paid advertising. So, um, yeah, that's the truth of it is I really, me and my dad just talk, we talk more than this. We talk once a month on a financial way. For sure. <laughs> we only talk once a month. <laughs> dad, tell me what I need. Yeah, I gotta yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. Because in all honesty, because I think I left this part out in the beginning, I actually, my first major in school was accounting. Mm-hmm. That was actually my, my major before I dropped out. And dude, I couldn't get past like the first class. Like it, it was to me, I'm more like a people person. Like what we're doing here, yeah. this is for me. You put me in a room and tell me to do a uh, balance sheet and it will be bad. Yeah. So, right. That's well, my answer. <laughs> but you are, tra- I mean, yeah. whether you're the one doing it or not, you are track tracking your metrics and you are yeah. active, actively engaged in it, which is huge a lot of people aren't and you're figuring there's 
a couple other good things. You have it to where you're looking at advertising and active reinvestment in the business. Yeah. But it's, to what you said about LinkedIn and free options, all that stuff is, is great, but it, it does become advertising. Like you also said, is super important because all the free options you have, you run into bandwidth issues. Yep. You can message people on LinkedIn with a reasonable conversion rate. You can up on, yeah. you get convert them to get on a call, but, but all that stuff, you only got but so many hours in the day versus when sure. you've got the money and flexibility with some ad spend. Well, you don't I have nearly that, that difficulty. I, I think one of the biggest things is that most, and you, yeah, you probably know this better than me, but I would have to venture a guess that most people are not fully aware of like what they really have, like, just, you know, mm -hmm. taking taxes and everything else into account. Um, and that, that, cause that's how it was for me. Like in the beginning, when you first start out, you're just not even like your focus isn't on that. Your focus is just like, yo, I'm trying to get my first client, you know? Right. So, I gotta make a sale. None of this matters if I don't make some sales. Yeah. So, but then once you, if you want to scale, you have to first know what you literally have. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people, they are completely unaware of what they, what their capabilities are. And this is in ways of like, they could have more capability than they actually think. Cause I think what happens too is a lot of people will just have a lot of cash sitting in, in their account. Yeah. Right. Which I'm actually one to blame for this as well, but at least for me, it's like, I know though what I can go out and do. So I know for instance, just like on ads or whatever, like if I wanted to get my Instagram to like a hundred thousand likes and like spend a bunch on average or I mean uh, followers and just spend like real followers and like spend a big average. You can get a hundred thousand followers for five bucks right yeah, now, yeah. man. You go to Fiverr. There's a few yeah. guys selling it. Uh, um, you know what I mean? But I know that I, I could do that. Right. But for me, it's more of um, like knowing those metrics too. So it's like mm -hmm. how much for Facebook ads, you know, let's just say it costs me $30 per, if anybody goes, and I'm not trying to plug it. I'm just saying the way our funnel is set up, we have an application on authorsunite.com. It's 25 questions. So our actual um, conversion rate is, is, is lower to get people to apply, but mm -hmm. it's higher yeah. on, right. on, because anybody that's going to spend the time to thoroughly answer 25 questions is at least they might not be financially fit. I, I don't know. Well, I'll know by their answers because we kind of asked that. Um, but they're at least very interested. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with spending 30, 40 bucks, whatever it is to get per application because I know, you know, maybe I'll um, onboard 20% of those people to become clients, you know, which, you know, our packages are in the tens of thousands of dollars. You know, the mart, it's huge. But most people just get afraid. They're like, oh, I spent $200 on Facebook ads, didn't get any return. Well, it's like you didn't even let the system do its thing. And what is your, what is your margins? What are your margins on your products? Because really, you could spend, for me, I could spend five to $20,000 and get one client. And I'm still, right. you know, so these, you got to know the numbers or you, or you can't scale. I think you can only maybe get to like low six figures without, and that's probably even hard without knowing your numbers. Like, oh, absolutely. And that's what we run into all the time. And one of the reasons we shifted our practice a couple of years back to only work with growth centric companies, because we'd be meeting with our clients 
now we require at least quarterly meetings for all the, I say new, we've been doing this for years now, but quarterly meetings for our business clients, we didn't used to require that. So once a year, these businesses would come in and because they, there, there are a lot of issues with mindset, but one of them was not tracking their numbers. And we would have the same conversation every single year and they would stay the exact same level and low six figures is about as good as you could get. Because yep. if you're not actively tracking and analyzing and looking at yourself, you don't, you don't know where your money's coming from. You don't know where it's going. You don't know, like you said, what you can afford. You run into all these issues to where either they make just enough to survive or even if they, they live really lean. And so they, they've got the cash. They don't feel, they don't realize, well, man, my burn rate is only this much a month. I could take this $40,000 and hire a new, that new staff member that I need, or I could do this insane advertising blitz, grab all this extra business and then be able to do fill in the blank of whatever would be beneficial to the company. Yeah, that was one of the biggest things for me because I think that's and that's a kind of another different mindset thing. But especially when you first start out as an entrepreneur, as I stated before, you want the control. Mm -hmm. But then to scale, you actually got to hire right. people and give away yeah. the control. Right. Uh, in some sense, right? Like you still have control over overlaying, but like allow them to do it. And, you know, people are like, well, you know, a $40,000 salary, you know, I'm making low six figures, let's say like, that's, that's a lot, but you got to more think how much more money could that employee bring in? So that was one of the biggest things. One of my mentors uh, told me is like, and I'm curious, <laughs> you might laugh at this, but he said, like, just focus on revenue. That's what he said. Like, do not get so caught up in in your expenses. Now, obviously you need to be aware of these things. Sure. But, but from a mindset, mm -hmm. especially in today's subscription economy, like I can't even freaking tell you how many subscriptions I'm on. It's <laughs> sickening. I let go of that a while ago. Like I just don't know. And I mean, I do know my dad knows, but I, I'm good. So I'm just like, if I need it, I'll use it. And then every like quarter we'll look at it and I'll be like, eh, I don't need it anymore. But you, if I, I'm focusing on abundance, not to get all like spiritual, I am just saying like abundance yeah. and revenue and bringing in clients. Whereas I think when I first started out, I had that scarcity mindset. So I was like another $15 a month, even though $15 is whatever, but it's like another $15 a month subscription. I'm like, Oh, that's my 30th one. You know, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. That's exactly right. Because any sure what yeah. we deal with, we're not, I'm not a marketer. I'm yeah. not selling people on, we work with our clients on things to help them with efficiencies. And we, we talk about everything in the business, but what we deal with largely is savings, efficiencies, tax savings, stuff like that. But the people who, you, who are successful are still focusing on how those expenses make them more money. Yeah. They focus on getting more, more in the door and then growing and it's funny the way you said it at the beginning. I think this is super true in what a lot of us go through. You start off with the scare, you start with scarcity and you start off with wanting control because I'm not working for somebody else. I'm not having anyone else in control of my future. So I'm doing everything. And then as you do grow, 
it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm still the boss. I'm the head honcho. Hooray, hooray for me. <laughs> but I've got, I can't do, we're going to be this low six figure company for the rest of my life unless I relinquish this control and, and really relinquish it too. Cause I think it was clockwork. One of them talks about how instead of delegating people, entrepreneurs get stuck deciding to where they they ostensibly give away these tasks to their employees but then the employees just keep coming back to them for feedback and making a decision versus truly getting it off your plate and delegating it and giving it to someone else to where yeah it's it's still in the company but yeah you're not the one you really have relinquished control of that task yeah, I actually, and I don't think this is for everything, especially relationships. I, I will disagree with the comment I'm going to say, but I was at an event Wednesday night down here in Miami and there was a speaker and he basically said, anything that you do more than once, you should outsource or delegate. So I, I think in a sense, that's uh, maybe 80, 90% of the time true. I think relationship building, yeah, I mean, it's... you can have employees be reaching out to build partnerships for sure. But when I reach out on LinkedIn or something, I'm not going to be like, hey, let's collaborate. And then when they're like, yeah, I'd love to connect. All right, schedule with my assistant. <laughs> um, now you could, I guess. But I, um, there is something to that personal touch. And, and I mm -hmm. think just to go back to, to Gary Vee, I think he, um, to me, he's a prime example of that. Like the, he's crushing it and he works all the time. So maybe you don't want that lifestyle of working all the time, but he still has that personal touch, I feel. And I think mm -hmm. you, you can have that even at a hundred million dollars or whatever his company does. Um, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny. And I'm there, I know there are going to be some people who disagree with me on this one because okay. I've talked to people and they have disagreed with me on this. Ooh, if, if someone, if, if, yeah, light controversy. <laughs> I, if someone, e if I email someone and their assistant responds, I've got no problem with that. That's, that's very much expected someone managing an assistant, managing an inbox. Yeah. What I'm seeing more and more of that I'm personally not a fan of is yeah. when you message someone's personal LinkedIn or their personal Facebook profile. And it's like, Hey, this is Steve Jack's assistant responding to you to where they're having not only the assistant managing their social their personal social profile but then making a real point of being like steve's so busy right now and he can't be he can't be bothered yeah. to me and this is just my opinion just my perception i think people think that makes them seem more important and more you know like oh man this guy's a big deal i i won think it generally has the opposite effect because I've never ha I've never met someone who actually is a big deal who's done that so far yeah I wonder and I also Steve. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that made up name thing it'd be awesome if I actually called out like well if we if I pull up my Facebook messenger um not only do I think it it doesn't really have the effects they think it will but I also think it's got to destroy the relationship building and conversion rate. I can't imagine it has a positive effect. Yeah. I think, um, socials, I think you want to, if it's you, I think you want to be, I think you want to be you, but I mean on, um, on Gmail or, or whatever. Sure. You, oh I, yeah. That makes sense. Cause it's probably like scheduling, but, but yeah, like if you reach out on LinkedIn, 
and it's and you're pretending to be you and then it's and then you respond back and say great this is actually not me this is right. you know that to me is just like now i will say though on the other side if you upfront reach out to me that's like i don't think your conversion or or it's going to work as well but if you're authentic about it and and just being like hey like i'm on my boss's account maybe word it different than this but <laughs> And, you know, he wants me to reach out to book publishers and, and to create relationships. Are you open to a call with him? And yeah. they're, they're, then to me, that's, I, I guess, I mean, I would be okay with that. But uh, yeah, I think there's ways you can mitigate it for sure. I yeah. think there's some nuance to how yeah. you approach it properly. <laughs> yeah, or just spam everybody and just get it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right, cool, man. So Fourth question is that we ask everybody in a couple of minutes to give us the tip that you think that every online business owner should know. Um, oh, one tip every online business owner should know. Uh, okay. So I think for me, what I've been experiencing lately and how I've trying to, been trying to combat it is, you know, when you are an online business owner, you've had some success, you work, I work from home, um, it can get a little lonely. Okay. So as good as it is, there's always something. It can never just all be rainbows. Mm -hmm. So, um, like, yeah, I don't know. I would just say for me, what I've been doing is trying to get more connected with the local community. And I don't know if you've ever actually heard of him. His name's Derek Halpern. Have you ever heard of him? Social triggers. He, um, he, he said like what was one thing he would do just to leave his house. He would just like walk to get his coffee and pay for it. Just to, like, because it, it, it has happened when you're so into your work, mm -hmm. there has like, I walk to go to the gym and come back. But for most of my life, I'm in my house, you know, or my condo here. Um, so I, I would just say, figure out how you can get more involved in the community because it is a health thing too, I think. Mm -hmm. That, like what we're doing right now, it's, we are connecting, but it's not the same as like an in-person, like, right. you know, that type of connecting. So, um, yeah, I've been doing that more and more and it's just been helping. I think more of, uh, just mentally, it just feels better. Um, yeah. Cause sure. dude, I'm just, I'm a lonely guy at the end of the day. <laughs> so. But I think that's important for one, I think it can help you with schedule, having some structure and scheduling to your life because that's one of the struggles from working online or working from home. Yeah. And like you said, too, from a, just from a wellness and health standpoint, because I'm most, we've, got a, we've got a brick and mortar location. Okay. And that's where I do most of my work now. But first couple of years, I would work a lot more from home, especially in the, the winter time when it would be slower and it's cold out and I don't want to drive to the office. And sometimes it works out okay. Then other times you're like, you know, it's like seven o'clock. You're like, man, I, I guess I should shower and get out of my pajamas at least. And it can just, you can overcome that. But if you just realize, man, I have not physically left this house for the past five days. I have not <laughs> physically interacted with another human being. Yeah. Because with what you do, at least you are, you're doing calls like this. You are engaging with people for depending on the niche that somebody's in, there's a real possibility that there's not even this level of human interaction in that yeah. period. 
A hundred percent. I always think about this. Um, and she's actually one of my, my business partners now. Um, just shining a light on it is for people that are like freelance writers. Right. So I, I know um, we, we just started to collaborate. Me and this girl, she, she crushes it. Uh, freelance writing. And she's literally written like over like 10,000 blogs for people over the, it's, it's just mind baffling. But she works for, she works, <laughs> it seems uh, so painful. You know, you know, but she's very good at it. She, she does love it. But like the thing is, is I was thinking, so, so you're right because she is, you know, she'll work maybe 10 hours a day or something like that. And she is not interacting with, you know, because what I mostly do in my business is I'm, I'll still do calls and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm creating partnerships and podcasting. Everything else is kind of structured freelance or employee taken care of. So I'm still getting this type of interaction. But yeah, like she is, is not, you know, like, so to me, I, I, I would be going bananas. Like I would be throwing stuff, dude. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. So yeah, I'm just I'm not mentally stable. Is what I'm saying. Uh, I don't think any I don't think any of us are. It's <laughs> good. Um, this is the best. <laughs> oh, it's funny. All right, sweet man. So last question. It's either one of two things. We ask people either what's the craziest thing you've seen sold online or what's the craziest tactic you've seen to sell something online? Oh boy, that's hard. <laughs> that crazy? Yeah. And it can be crazy good or crazy bad. We've had some yeah. examples where it's things people loved and then a, a number of examples where it's like, I, I don't know what this person was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. This is hard, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think real quick. Let me think about this. I mean, I've seen, <laughs> I've, I mean, some of my friends have sent me some weird stuff. So I don't know if we want to go down. <laughs> I've seen that. Um, but Hmm. I mean, you know, this isn't like weird, but uh, maybe this will be beneficial for some people. Some of my friends are, are very big in the e-commerce space of mm -hmm. like selling um, like wallets or mugs or something like that. And one of my friends actually down here in Miami, literally, uh, I think it was last year, two years ago, he did 9 million in one year. Now that's obviously not all profit. The margins are a little sure. Spent, but still, oh. that's, I think that's something pretty cool at the end of the day. Yeah. But um that a lot of people are riding the Trump train on selling uh, stuff, right? So one of my friends is killing it with an e-commerce story. Sells like Trump mugs, okay? And they're all so this. I don't know if this is really answering the question the best way. It's just what I'm thinking yeah. of. And um, but he just creates all these custom like uh, Donald Trump mugs, and then you know you can target. I think Facebook kind of removed that but somehow you kind of know in some way he's yeah. targeting and he's crushing it and they're just all these like funny trump mugs like coffee mugs and um so at the end of the day you can literally create almost mm -hmm. anything yeah. and turn a profit but I, he's very good at facebook ads so you got to know the advertising side yeah you gotta know the ad side but it is always interesting where something like that to where it's like if you look at anything with the right lens, you can see a business opportunity because yeah. right now politics is one of the most miserable things that's going on in the country. It's yeah. just, it's so frustrating. Just, you know, turn the impeachment getting, getting on Facebook, turn on the TV, anything. It's horrible. So most of us just kind of like are rubbing our eyes, just at least for me, just ready for this to, to be over, or just turn, <laughs> turn the TV off. That dude, he's like, yeah, man, there's well, an opportunity here. You know, another interesting, and I don't know how successful they are, but just triggered my memory real quick. 
is there, there are people I saw an ad for it that are selling, um, iPhone, um, iPhone, uh, covers, mm -hmm. uh, like protective covers on the back. There's the, the, the Apple. And what they did is they took specific basketball players and they're like this and the Apple logo is like in their hand. Right. And it, it's just kind of yeah. unique. And like, I mean, I think they're maybe doing okay. Like they're selling. I wonder um, if that's, if they actually got that license. That, that seems a little underground to me. My guess is those are not licensed. But there, that's, a, that's a better answer than the Trumps. And stuff. So yeah. yeah, that is, um, I just think, I, I think that's a mindset thing again too. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like somebody literally was like, that apple looks like a basketball. Like let me right. try, whether it's legal or not, I don't know. But so um. yeah, that's what's always interesting is that, and I think about this for really successful business people when they look at anything they see business. It's the same as artists or people who are really high level in whatever their industry or town is. It's like you know, people who are musicians they just see music everywhere. They look at a painting and they see music. So that's why I always find interesting not only with is the really super innovative entrepreneurs especially to where they see things in this way and in a use proposition that none of none of us ever would yeah yeah i, I wouldn't have thought of the the stuff i mentioned so that's why yeah <laughs> all right buddy this yeah. has been a blast as always I have such a good time talking to you I have a lot of laughs <laughs> Me too. yeah man so for everyone who's watching this, if they've got a book, they want to reach out to you, they want to work with you, what's your website? What's your best method of contact? Yeah, so authorsunite.com is the website uh, if you're interested in working with us. And then if you just want to chat with me personally, probably Instagram, it's Tyler B. Wagner is the handle. Okay, sweet. We'll put those in the description. Thanks again for being here. And thanks again to everybody who's watching on the few, the proud, the profitable where we only talk to legit online businesses. As always, remember to review, to like, to subscribe to this podcast. We'll catch y'all next time.